tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, the podcast where we talk about how to get inspired and how to organize their ideas, and most of all, how to gain the confidence and the connections to launch our creative work out into the world. And today we've got a unique set of guests who are going to talk to us about transformational change and creativity and how to apply our creativity and whatever creative practitioners might be working on right now. And I'm just so happy to welcome Ian Ziskin and a panel of collaborators, which I'll introduce in a moment. But Ian, welcome to our program. Great to be with you, Mark. Thank you for having us. Ian leads a group called the Consortium for Change and has just published a book, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. And the co-authors that are here, Linda Naiman. Hi, Mark. And what are Thanks you Thanks for having on? me here. Actually... I'm joining the fourth industrial revolution and going technical, designing and producing an online on-demand course on creative resilience. Oh, fantastic. So it's been a journey. Can't wait to hear more. And Kelly Bean is with us. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. It's great to be with you. And tell us about your work. I am principal of Heron Strategy Partners based here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I have been working with organizations and universities in how do we integrate learning into everything we do on a daily basis. And we're also joined by Karen John Madsen. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. What are you working on these days? Well, Ian will laugh. He'll probably say, what is she not working on today? (laughs) But I would say I'm primarily spending my time between executive coaching and consulting in leadership, culture, diversity, talent optimization, and change. But I do spend a lot of time teaching as well as advising and investing in the startup space. And I'm developing a research project at the intersection of DEI and culture. Lots to explore there. We're also joined by Susan Robertson. Hi, Mark. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. And what creative passions are you exploring these days? A lot. I, too, am from Charlottesville, Virginia. And I'm working on my third book, Real Cultural Transformation to Change, as well as what I contributed here. I'm actually doing a lot of executive coaching on how to get into the C-suite. And then I've had a special interest in working with cultural change in the um, healthcare industry, given all the things that have happened in the last two and a half years. Well, Ian, what a panel we've uh, assembled here. And going back to this idea of transformational change, I mean, look at all the areas our other contributors are exploring. In terms of putting this book together and the issues of transformational change, let's start with a bit of a definition. Where did you springboard from in defining transformation? Started from a place, Mark, in thinking about few questions that we would try to explore in the book one of which would be those leaders who are actually successfully leading sustained transformational change. You know, why? What are they doing right? Second question that we began to explore was a lot of situations where transformational change is not successful. Uh, Why do we so often fail? We also started with a bit of a hypothesis or a premise that we wanted to explore. Basically, the assumption that all transformation is change, but is all change transformational? Mm. Uh, and you know, just to sneak preview a bit, I think the answer is no, not really. Not all change is transformational. 
Well, also uh, started thinking about this concept of transformational change from the perspective of uh, the individual, the team, the organization, and perhaps even to a certain degree, society, and trying to make uh, you know each of those things you know as effective as possible, but also from a perspective of health and happiness and survivability and long-term viability. All of those things tend to touch on the the broader concept of large-scale transformational change. And those were some of the underpinnings that we began to explore when we cooked up the idea to put this book together. And I think to pick up on that definition, I have to ask, transformation as a word sounds so glamorous and it sounds so positive. And yet one of the premises I read about was the fact that so much of this is disruption. It's unanticipated. It's often unaddressed. You know, it's change for change's sake. What's the difference and what can we learn from that? Well, I think you summarized that really well because at least for myself and I think for, you know, the others on the panel as well to varying degrees, you kind of come to this realization when you start looking at this topic of transformational change that people tend to think about it as planned for, anticipated, the ability to see around corners and to address things in advance of the need. You know, that all feels very strategic. And there's plenty of examples in the book uh, and in life of that sense of anticipatory change that's well prepared for. However, I certainly learned in pulling the book together as the lead author that there are actually many more examples of things that are unplanned for, kind of happened to us. We didn't see them coming. They were unanticipated. There's very little preparation and we just kind of get whacked upside the head. You know, one of my favorite quotes included in the book was from Mike Tyson, the heavyweight boxer who was being interviewed in advance of one of his heavyweight bouts by a member of the media who asked what his strategy was for this heavyweight fight. And he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and I think there's plenty of examples of individuals and teams and organizations and, and even societies that are getting punched in the mouth uh, and then have to figure out how to deal with the circumstance that they are facing. Didn't see it coming. It wasn't very well planned. And no, it takes that whack on the side of the head uh, book title to a whole different level, doesn't it? Well, Linda, let's bring you into the conversation here. I mean, clients ranging from American Express to the UN to the US Navy have called on you for dealing with change and change strategy. But what did you see when you were contributing your chapter and essay to the book? What was your sense of what transformational change could look like and how a creative team could deal with it? Oh, thanks, Mark. First, these organizations contact me to help them be more creative. So I'm, I'm not being asked to take them through a whole change process, except to change their minds. And so there's, there's another aspect of transformation for me, which has to do with going from one state to another, which is an, to a more evolved state. And uh, so transformation for me has to do with... Uh, an evolved state where you, let's say, go transform from unawareness to awareness or to a higher awareness and to create an improved quality. So um, my contribution to this book has to do with using the arts as a catalyst for transformation in people, in organizations. And so uh, one thing that 
that Ian was writing in uh, at the beginning of the book was was about um, you know we have to understand what reality is in the first place and go from there. So how how do you tell the truth about reality? Yosef Karsh, a celebrated Canadian photographer, uh, advised a young filmmaker once to always tell the truth, but in terms of beauty. And so I use art as a, um, as a way for people to have creative conversations. So I will ask a strategic conversation, I'll ask a strategic question and have people answer with a paintbrush and paint. And, um, and then talk about what they experienced and what they see in their pictures. And so it externalizes the truth. So you're not confronting the truth directly mm -hmm. with each other. And it makes it safe to discuss the undiscussables. It's also a way to draw out symbols and metaphors from the work of art. So I'm not asking people to be artists. I'm asking them to take a deep dive into inquiry, into curiosity, into using their imaginations. And we have multiple ways of learning beyond just the, the verbal and the linear and the analytical. So there's layers of learning and, and there's multiple ways of knowing, and that's what we tap into using the arts. And so it's, so the art is in the conversation. And it's the, uh, the conversation that transforms. So what I do is I create a safe space. I call it a crucible for transformation through which the group feels, uh, we create a crucible created by safety, a feeling of safety and trust to, to talk about what matters. Mm -hmm. And in a way, what I've noticed over the years, this is a way for the group to dive in and extract the gold of wisdom that is buried in the group. That's transformation. Mm, and from nice. there, they come up with creative solutions and um, aspirations and then start to, to create a desired future. Very, so that's, very... that's more or less what I wrote in the chapter, in yeah. the essay, I should say. Very helpful. I love that way of tapping in and then providing a, a space to create. Well, Kelly, uh, let's explore your contribution. You've looked at this both from a maybe academic and from a practical business standpoint. How do, how do we move from the sort of concept and the glorious feelings that <laughs> transformation might uh, entail, but the real practical application of getting it done? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, it's been my experience that learning and lifelong learning um, leads to the best practical application. Testing, discovering, ideating, um, everything that Linda was just talking about, you know, having those conversations and putting that together in an intentional way where leaders who, I base the premise that leaders have to be learners. And if you're a learner, you have every capability and possibility um, to be a leader. And so in order to do that, you have to practice. And this is where I think learning brings, uh, brings that together. I think leaders oftentimes in the organizations that I've worked with um, on behalf of a variety of universities, 
a learning journey often is what helps bring transformational change to the forefront. It doesn't happen in two days or three days. Uh, it happens over a period of time and mindsets are difficult to shift and change. And so it's those small pieces of practical application of learning something, going in, trying it, stretching yourself, recognizing that you are uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you're growing. And when you're growing, keep at it because you're growing others. And that transformational change begins to kind of trickle down into the organization. I think the important piece that, that I've learned over the years and what the contribution that I made to the book is that you really have to be a learning leader in today's, uh, in, in, in today's workforce. And to be that learning, learning leader, you have to take on a variety of different, uh, different roles to be able to understand not only how the business that you're part of works or the organization works, but also how do you work, right? And what is your, your, what's getting in the way? What do you need to take with you? What do you need to continue to grow? And then as Ian mentioned at the beginning, it's not enough anymore to just integrate how the business works and how you work. You have to take that other view of what's happening in society, what's happening in global trends. And so the learning leader today kind of sits in the middle of all three of those perspectives. Um, and by taking on these different roles, whether that's of being an innovator or a value creator or change activist or communicator, an agile problem solver, as you, as you step into those roles and you practice, that helps to bring the practical application into the mix. But you have to balance that with reflection, do-overs, um, and teaching others. Yes. Well, and none of this happens fast, as you said. And Karen, I think about things like changing culture, things like embracing diversity, everything that Kelly's been talking about with this embracing a learning uh, mindset. But it's not always easy when you kind of touch these sensitive topics, is it? No, absolutely not. And, and if I could just back up a little bit, just respond to what I heard from my colleagues here and tie that into your question. Um, you know, when it comes to change in general, I mean, we're, we're humans, we're mostly adaptable, mostly, <laughs> especially when we have to. Um, oftentimes, it's not necessarily just the change itself, it's how the change is managed, right? So Ian spoke to why we wrote this book, uh, because um, it's, it's the ability to manage change. And by the way, to be able to practice that during change, because not everything is predictable. One of my favorite Warner Burke quotes is to assume that change in organizations is or can be rational it is irrational, right? So to be able to manage changes to be, you have to be good at change too. You have to be able to be adaptive and agile as well. We found this, and Ian mentioned COVID, the organizations that were good cultures and great at change, they rose to the occasion. I mean, there are a lot of great examples where companies really stepped up. And I think what this pandemic did was exacerbate what was already there. So if it was a great culture that was good at managing change, they, they got, they were even better at it. Right. And then those that struggled with it struggled even more. And, and so learning that you brought up Kelly and Mark that you asked about becomes that much more important because it is such a huge part of, by the way, any creative process to, 
as a nod to Linda. And the way I would summarize it is that learning is demonstrated by changed behavior, right? And so learning is change and change is learning. And so that is a big part of what change is all about, which is why, I, you know, not to toot our own horns, we love this book because mm-hmm. well, you should. Uh, it's just so comprehensive and, and it ties into the way I structured my essay and the way the book itself is structured is the way you successfully manage change. And this is what my essay delves into is you need to have enough depth and breadth in order to be successful at that. And that's why we talk about it at an individual team and organization scale because oftentimes organizations tend to take a big hammer and 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 force change through in ways that are um, you talked about disruption. You want positive disruption, not um, destructive disruption, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my essay was written. I tend to write based out of certain frustrations. I, that's how I ended up writing my first book, <laughs> uh, culture culture innovating. Uh, experiences at work because it's all of these frustrations that we we have a sense or at least we know um, what to do and the challenges in in making it happen and so my essay in this book was about sustainable DEI because guess what I talk about the graveyard of failed initiatives Mm -hmm. uh, what's missing Um, and and it is that depth and breadth that we talk about so that that's kind of where that comes from and why I think it's, and by the way, um, I highly recommend uh, collaborative book projects. It's uh, a lot easier to collaborate with your colleagues than to write a book all by yourself. I've, yes. done, I've done four group projects now, and it's it's all been a joy. It brings us closer together. So right. I, I want to thank Ian for for being the brain, you know, the brains behind pulling this all together. Because I'm telling you, we talk about collective intelligence in a creative process. That's exactly what happened here. Uh, the different voices you hear just in this panel, but in the entire book, it, it really truly is transformational to to be able to learn through all the different voices here. Oh, fantastic. Ian, I'll, I'll ask you about that in a moment. But Susan, bringing you in here, I mean, as we think about strategy, you know, it is nice to think about a visionary saying, hey, you know what, we really ought to make transformational change around here. I mean, certainly companies are looking for a competitive advantage. Yes, we want to make our culture stronger, but we want to compete better in the marketplace. The chapter that I wrote actually happens to be a live experience of a group that I worked with inside of a large Fortune 100 company, and they had what they called a drill and kill culture. And so this drill and kill, which has made it very easy to grind, they were highly competitive with each other. So I was working with one of the many call centers across the, the globe. And the particular call center I was working with was the number one ranking call center, and they wanted to keep becoming better and better and better. And what happened is they ultimately began competing with themselves and so within their own um, call center. So despite the fact that they were so successful, and despite the fact that they were trying to avoid drill and kill, they became drill and kill with each other. And so when it comes to transformation, you do, you have to change it at the individual level, the team level and the organizational level. When they realized that they were drilling and killing each other, that was actually when I came in and it was, it was highly contentious, yet highly, you know, they were highly uh, perform, high performers as an organization. So, you know, there was this reticence to change because of the high performance. Right. And so 
getting people, one of the things that we like to say when we're working with um, organizations, if you talk about the issues that create distrust, you'll actually create trust. And that's not actually easy to do. And then how do you bring that out? And those are all the facilitative techniques that you have to get into with these teams in order for them to be able to break down barriers between themselves and reach that creative space. And, you know, those are the things, as we talked about last time that I talk about my book, Real Leadership. And then um, when it comes to culture, then having everyone go through paradigm shifts with themselves and go through individual transformation in order to create the organizational transformation. And that's what this book also talks about is those three levels. And then how do you do it? And how do you create practical application so that you get everyone on board so that it's a learning organization, you have diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging across the board. And then, of course, getting to that level of creativity, when you're competitive, you're not being creative at all, you know, as, as Linda would say. And so an individual's ability, the leader, you don't have to wait for the organization to change in order to change your organization. Mm -hmm. And that's sure. what I think that that, you know, my little essay illustrates in terms of the client that I interviewed. Yeah. I love the fact that all of you uh, brought in these real experiences, whether it be from frustration or whether it be from a case study point of view. And Ian, I'd like to explore that creative process and how you brought those perspectives together. So many different points of view on change and on what transformation takes. Over 35 contributors, uh, these 25 essays on different points of view. But what was your creative process? How did you bring all this together? Give our listeners some insight into the how-to. Well, for me, uh, the decision was easy right from the beginning when I quickly realized I wasn't smart enough to write an entire book on transformational change by myself. <laughs> Awareness is always the first step. <laughs> right. So self-awareness was extraordinarily important. And um, the same time, uh, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have this collective group of members of uh, the Consortium for Change. You know, everybody who's on this panel uh, is an active member in that group where we have a lot of coaches and consultants and experts on not only leading transformational change, but a variety of other topics. So there was a lot of passion for the concept, but also a lot of very valuable points of view that we wanted to bring into uh, the story, I've now grown fond of calling the book uh, 200 Voices in Under 200 Pages, because it turns out that, uh, as a lot of people have asked me, you know, what do you think potentially distinguishes this book from others in the uh, leading change space? One of the things I point to is the fact that it's not just Ian's view of the world or even uh, a few co-authors. We actually have the perspective of these 25 different essays and eight interviews and over 150 people's worth of input on a survey that we did, all of whom bring you know, their own unique perspective. But the other thing that we also were trying to accomplish was keep it brief enough and focused enough and practical enough and pragmatic enough that people would actually use it and find it a useful tool. As our publisher reminded us, and I think lots of other people know from their own personal experience, it's getting harder and harder to, for people to read books anymore. Uh, and so the 350 or 400 page variety, while there's plenty of great ones out there, 
it's hard for people to make the time to get through it. And so uh, our approach on the collaborative side was to bring in a very diverse set of voices and perspectives. There's a lot of reinforcement, you know, common experiences that people have shared in the book and those themes come through. Uh, but there's also divergence, you know, people have different points of view. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes the, the book, uh, we hope, uh, a useful learning tool for people and by keeping it short, hopefully make it accessible for people to be able to actually use it in a practical way. Uh, that was very motivating for me. It was keep it short enough to be usable, but also diverse enough to be valuable in terms of the input. Sure. Well, I'd love to hear from the authors. Uh, Kelly, maybe I could start with you in terms of your process and knowing that there were these other people writing in parallel. <laughs> you know, how did that both inspire you and encourage you, I guess, but motivate you to get your uh, chapter? Yeah, well, as uh, kind of a new entrepreneur and new author, some of it for me was just getting out of my own way. And I think that the process that we followed around you know, what are your views on transformation and what have you experienced? It actually allowed me very, very clearly to just kind of open up and say, hey, what, you know, what are some experiences that I've been through where I've seen, in my case, learning have a huge impact on leading on transformation and, and building leaders? And, um, you know, what are, what are my takeaways from that? And what are, you know, I think my favorite part of the book that I, I loved and when I first started to read it, read the manuscript, I went there almost immediately. What are the three things to know or do about transformational change? And what I loved is that each of us had kind of our own perspective on it. They become like these little prompts that we can use. And so I have found myself, even today, as we've been going through this, I have quite a few different prompts written down from some of my colleagues. So I think the richness of integrating all those different ideas has just been a really great experience. Perfect. Well, Linda, you've written other uh, books and articles. How did this process compare or contrast to uh, your other writing experiences? It was a pleasure to write this essay. And uh, Ian made it easy because he provided some guidelines. He knew what he wanted in terms of the book and what he wanted from an essay. And so, um, that's way easier than if it's just, you know, a vague ask. And, uh, but the hard part is to say so much in so few words. Um, so that, but that's something I've had practice in from writing columns at ink.com over a couple of years. So um, yeah, that, that was, that was difficult, but I had, I felt like I had plenty of support from Ian and his team. And uh, so, and it fulfills, you know, my mission is to help people liberate their creativity and make life and work a work of art. So this, this is a way to be of service to that mission. Very good. And Susan, Linda has mentioned this support. I couldn't help but wonder, many of our listeners might be, have been invited to contribute to maybe compendiums like this or be a co-author in a book. How does that feel knowing that there's so many other, you know, quote unquote, more experienced or better or more qualified, you know, did, did the uh, imposter syndrome ever grab anybody? I'm so glad you asked me that question because that was exactly what I was thinking about. I've recently taken up tennis 
And the way you get better at tennis is you play against somebody who's better than you. Mm -hmm. And so I found this process as I thought about it. One, um, as Ian said, to be to have a targeted topic is extremely important. Whereas when you're writing a book, you have a bunch of targeted topics. So um, I just kept thinking about what made this creative for me is I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm playing against A players and I want to level up my game. And these people are going to help me level up my game. And um, and I'm going to learn in the process in terms of my own writing, but also in terms of what other people are sharing from their experiences. So I was excited to just be part of that. And that helped you know, generate or uh, sustain the creative juices around what is it, what would be the most important thing that I could contribute based on the experiences, but more, not really my experiences, but my clients' experiences on what it takes in terms of transformation, because you really do have to get out of your comfort zone, which takes, you know, a breaking of your mindset and being <laughs> coming and creative and thinking outside of the box. So I just found it a great way to level up. Perfect. And Karen, a lot of uh, writers and authors and contributors to books like this, they start with this blank page and they go, as you have listed, so many interests, so many topics, so many possibilities. But, you know, the where do you begin? How did you find this process in that regard? You know, it's interesting. Um, I've been on a personal journey around being able to hone in on where I can uniquely contribute. So uh, this question I've been asking myself is, do you need somebody or do you need me? And I, and I felt this way about the book as well is, is, you know, where can I uniquely contribute? That's kind of where my blank page started. I'm also somebody, and, and, and I try to practice what I preach around the learning piece as a lifelong learner who's extremely influenced by design thinking is like, I took an iterative approach. I mean, you take the first drafts, you just start anywhere yeah right? and you iterate and you learn through that process and you you, you put your own uh, contribution on it. And so to be able to see, first of all, I want to give a lot of credit, not, not first of all, I should have said that up front, Ian, but I give you and your team all the credit of hurting all these cats. We're all extremely busy people. And, um, and the fact that this all came together in the timeline that it did is, is, is a huge achievement. Um, and, and between timelines and space, like these are... Um, actually constraints that really helped our creative process in some respects um, and, and created what you have before you now. I think this is something we're really proud about because, you know, we went through a transformation our process ourselves Very in good. putting this book together. So, so that's my take on it is, you know, when you have a blank page, you start anywhere. So, um, and then you iterate from there and, and, you, and you focus on where you can uniquely contribute. Everyone has value to add. We all come from very different experiences. And I, I really do feel that there's something in here for everyone and a perspective on almost everything related yeah. to change. I mean, well, and I certainly about... relate to your timeline comment, what creative person doesn't need a deadline? Yeah. Uh, to, to say, you know, one of these days we got to wrap this thing up. Well, I have a love-hate <laughs> relationship with timelines. Of course, we all do. Yes. <laughs> Well, Ian, the, the book has a lot of ahas about uh, transformational change, and I, I definitely want to get to those. But first, what was an aha for you about the process of putting the book together as the creative lead? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, when you write a book, 
hopefully you teach other people something, but you should also be learning something yourself. I learned a lot about transformational change. I also learned a lot about putting books together and maybe my next book will be a book about writing a book, you know, because it was a it was a whole experience, you know, including the cat herding that everybody was kind enough to um, to refer to. One of the big things I learned about the process of putting the book together was trying to get the balance right between providing guidance and deadlines and being clear about what it is you're looking for so people felt like they had some framework to work within, while at the same time providing an appropriate level of degrees of freedom for creativity and ideas and diverse perspectives to flow through. And uh, that's a bit of an iterative process, frankly. You know, you have to experiment and adjust along the way, but uh, everybody did a beautiful job in their own unique way of staying within the guardrails, but not completely. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they tested the boundaries of their own creativity uh, and trying new ideas and uh, getting their own voice to come through. Uh, and I was really excited to create the environment, if you will. I think that was my job, was to create the environment that made it possible for people to uh, allow their perspective and voice to come through, while at the same time providing just enough structure and guidance and pressure to get us to finish the book on time and actually have it come out on time, which I've learned from talking to the publisher uh, isn't as common as you might imagine, you know, where people you know, set deadlines for books and they try to write a book. And then six years later, they're still <laughs> trying to write the same book. And to be able to do it all within less than a year, uh, I think we should all be uh, proud of ourselves for having stuck to the, the game plan to make it happen. Absolutely. Kudos to all. Well, one of the chapters in the book uh, is don't do it. And I'd love to go around our panel here and kind of say, don't do this, don't do that in a short, succinct wrap up kind of a way. Susan, could I start with you? If you're a creator looking to make change, uh, don't do this, do this instead. Okay. Um, I would have to say it's exactly what everyone's talking about. Yes, start anywhere, but don't start anywhere over and over and over and over again. Once you figure out a thread, follow that for a while. Um, because I found that I at one time was writing 10 different books instead of narrowing the scope because um, so many different ideas would come up. So then once you start anywhere, which I actually absolutely believe in, in terms of all the chapters, then pick a theme and okay. go down. Great. Linda, what, what should we not do and what should we do instead? I would say don't run away from chaos and ambiguity. Too often, I, I work with people who are, you know, they're really, um, you know, they're high performers, everything has to be perfect. We're going through change and transformation, things aren't going to be perfect. And they want to come up with a solution right away and bypass chaos and ambiguity. I say, don't bypass that. Dive in, get curious about it. Follow the thread of curiosity, pull on that thread, because that's going to lead you to new perspectives, new ideas, and, uh, and then new solutions. And also, 
don't settle on your first perspective or your first idea and listen to people on your team and listen to a diversity of perspectives because problem solving is a little bit like a puzzle. And, uh, and so we all have a piece of the puzzle. So we need to be in dialogue to listen to each other, mind that, that group wisdom so that we can, so that we can evolve and transform. Very good. Kelly, what would be your watchwords? Don't do this, do this instead. Yeah, it actually is pretty similar to what Linda said. Um, what I wrote down when you asked that question is, don't have too much certainty, have more curiosity. Like just, I think as we get wiser and have more experiences, we know the answer or we feel like we know the answer and um, challenging yourself to grow is about asking a different set of questions. Very good. Karen, what would you say? Don't do this, do this instead. And you're going to start to hear a theme here on things <laughs> slightly differently. Uh, don't self-limit. Explore the possibilities. Connect with people and also enjoy the journey. This whole, you know, constantly looking at finishing. This is the problem with change management and transformation. Sometimes the focus is too much on uh, the transaction of it that they lose the relationship, the connection, the community, everything that makes change successful. Um, so uh, I, I'm kind of echoing a lot of what my colleagues have said here is to make sure that um, those possibilities are things you capture. There might be things you don't expect. You, you have to be prepared for, the, um, for, for unintended benefits and consequences both, right? And so I, I would say definitely uh, be mindful enough to, to, to kind of live in the present and in the journey itself and to continue to learn. I love that. We're always looking back for those unintended consequences. I love that there may be unintended benefits. I'll be watching for those the rest of the week. <laughs> well, Ian, as we close, first of all, I've got a, a final question, but I wanted to make sure our listeners know how to connect with the consortium, how to learn about the book. Where's the best place for us to find more information? Thanks for asking, Mark. Actually, best place, one-stop shopping is uh, the book website that we set up. It's www.transformationalchangebook.com where everybody uh, who's interested can go to get some chapter summaries, learn a bit more about the contributing authors, uh, and also um, order the book at a discount. But it's also a way for them to interact with us and learn more about the Consortium for Change all at the same time at the same place. Oh, fantastic. We'll put all those links in the show notes, and including the discount code, and, and our listeners can go and find it and order the book. That'd be fantastic. Now, I know that, uh, you know, we want to celebrate the work, but we also want to look ahead. Uh, how do you see the book going, uh, the messages, the authors, the collaboration? Where do you see it going from here, Ian? Well, I think it's important to underscore, even though we've all said it in a variety of different ways in our time together, really the main purpose of this book is to try to uh, raise the bar, you know, for the profession, uh, profession of leadership, the profession of leading transformational change. So anything that we can do to amplify the learning uh, and the messages from the book uh, and share them in an accessible way with people so they can make use of them in their own individual personal lives, but also with their teams and with their organizations, 
that's really what we're all about. So um, trying to spend the time now, not only through podcasts like this, but uh, also other uh, presentations, leadership development opportunities that we'll have uh, and coaching or consulting opportunities that all of us tend to get engaged in, actually teaching some of the lessons learned from what we discovered in putting the book together. To me, that's the best way of, of amplifying the message. And I think sometimes you, uh, as a book author, it's easy to get caught up in the trap of you know, focusing exclusively on how many books did you sell, you know, and that's always great when it happens. But uh, for me personally, the much more important impact, if we can have it, uh, is not in the number of books sold, but in the number of lives we improve, you know, as a result of uh, teaching and sharing some of the things that we have learned, however we best can convey that message. And there'll be a variety of different ways that we're doing that. Perfect. Well, I can't thank you all enough for being on the program. The book is called The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. It's from the Consortium for Change. The lead author is Ian Ziskin and Linda Naiman, Susan Robertson, Kelly Bean, and Karen John Madsen have been my guests. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Great to thank be with you, you, Mark. Mark. Thank you. Yeah, it's just been so great. And listeners, I think the, the key word here is lessons learned and lessons applied. We've talked about all the concepts and the philosophies and the strategies and approaches, but we've also talked about what it takes to actually apply these. I love the idea of diving in, embracing curiosity. You know, we've got to continue to be creators for change and it starts with creation. So let's keep creating, let's keep our ideas flowing and let's be open to the thoughts of others. So I'm so glad you came along. Stop by again for our next episode of the podcast, where we travel around the world talking to creative practitioners about how they get inspired and how they organize their ideas, as we've heard today, how to bring together a collaboration of authors, but also how we all gain the confidence and the connections to launch our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. Bye for now. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love.